again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. Jordy's here, Jordy's there. It's Wednesday night show. It seems like an eternity since we've done one of these live, but just the way things have gone with matches and um, people's uh, vacations, holidays, whatever you want to call them, uh, we are back and uh, looking forward to uh, getting our teeth into uh, Newcastle United for the next hour. Uh, if you didn't have a chance to catch it, uh, watch it after this. How does financial fair play affect Newcastle United? Uh, well worth a watch. Uh, we went over the Swiss Ramble tweet, which I promised I would do at some point. Finally found some time to do it today. Uh, ben Jacobs popped on for 45 minutes to give us his views and version of it. And to be honest, it makes a lot more sense uh, after uh, doing that today. So if you want a 45-minute guide to financial fair play and how it affects Newcastle, pop onto there and give it a watch. Don't forget, ask George is part of a regular feature on this show. We've got a question for George. We'll ask it halfway through and uh, we'll also be looking at somebody's first game as well. So uh, plenty to get our teeth in uh, to tonight. And um, I guess we could stop with AR because everybody oh, still, seems, still <laughs> seems to be going on about it. Um, unfortunately, it, it is still a, a topic which everybody wants to talk about. And the questions I've got happened, like, Asked to us before the before the show, George, were well, 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 VAR. How can we sort it out? It's you know we're, we're now Wednesday and people are still foaming, George, about the decisions yeah. that we had against us last week. Yeah, uh, last weekend. Well, not just last weekend and series, last week, a series of decisions that have cost us a lot of points. Uh, I think Shira hit the nail on the head. It's not VAR; it's the people that are applying it. They're just, they're just not up to it, or they don't appear to be up to it. And I'm kind of getting around to the feeling that has been voiced by one or two uh, people on, on Match of the Day, and that is, why not involve some ex-players and ex-managers in, in the system now? Not just referees, people who have actually uh, been on the field and, and, and done it for real. I mean, remember when we used to have the pools panel? Yeah. Now, <laughs> The ex-players used to do that, and I don't remember there ever being any problem with that. Um, it, it's perhaps not an irrelevant example, but it's as close as we can get. No, I, 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 and the other thing is that the um, the so-called excuses um, still keep coming. See, I, I was keen to hear what Dermot Gallagher had to say, and at first it sounded great that, yes, we, we, we were robbed, but then he comes with, but if I'd have been the referee... I would have given a penalty. What rubbish. Where was he doing his referee learning when he when he forgot the fact that once the ball's in the net, it's dead. You cannot do no else. That's it. It's finished. So it's either a goal or a free kick. It cannot be a penalty. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds like an old referee making an excuse for a new referee. So I wasn't happy about him either. And, and the excuses that are coming out... Um, I find it interesting now that uh, someone's produced a list of all the decisions that VAR have got right, but not a list of all the ones that have got wrong. Now, <laughs> if that doesn't make anybody suspicious, I don't know what would. No, it, I'm not surprised. People are angry and upset. Uh, and until there's uh, some independence in there somewhere, um, it won't be right. But uh, it's certainly... Um, Will Howard Webb in his new role as overseer make it any different? I'm not sure it will, because Howard Webb used to make some some howlers when he was a referee. Um, you know, um, I think it, it, there was one notable occasion where he booked somebody three times. You know, first time, second time, he didn't send them off, and then came round to the third time. So I, I uh, you know, I, I just don't have any confidence because the, the system has been. Uh, damned, if you like, by the errors that they've made, and some of the other errors are just uh, so simple. It, it, you know, anyhow, asks about the one at Liverpool, about uh, uh, about our new centre forwards goal that was disallowed, and then they start talking to him about, well, we took into account the shadows of the players. You know, oh my God, you know, dear me, the shadows. If somebody on 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 uh, Twitter pointed out that the line that they had across the pitch wasn't even at right angles with the centre line. 
or the goal line. It was going off somewhere else by about three or four degrees. Well, you know, those fundamentals are wrong. There's something wrong with the, with the, with the whole shebang. And I, I'm afraid it has to be down to the people using it. So that, that's my take on it anyway. Mitch, has anything changed for you since uh, the weekend? We obviously did uh, the show on Sunday. We talked a little bit about VAR then. I mean, there's been a lot said in the media, a lot said by various pundits, ex-referees, former professionals. Anything new to add to what you had to say on Sunday? Not really. It's still my opinion. Again, it's it's not the technology. It's the way it's being applied and the people applying it. They're going to offer sincere apologies as much as they like, but that's not going to get any points back. Um, there, there seems to be a scramble to try and, as they're always within the refereeing community, to try and protect their, their their own. And some of that's understandable, but in this case, it's it's undefend indefensible, really. Um, refereeing standards in this country have been dropping significantly, and the uh, Keith Hackett and Mark Halsey are two people who've called it out along the way. Whether you like them or not, and whether we agree with them or not, I've spoken at length of both on various shows that you and I have been involved with over time, Steve, and um, they've both always been frank about it, you know, even if you talk to Halsey about the missing tackle on Hydara by McManaman, and I think that's something he openly admits, yep, had I had the AR around then, that would have changed my mind and that would have been a red, you know, um, and, and, and so you can see how people with experience in refereeing can see how the AR can be an advantage, but right now, our officials are the laughing stuck of Europe, because we cannot apply it properly. We're using it entirely in their own way. Um, we're almost now making refereeing decisions retrospectively, and that's not in the spirit of the game. Uh, and, and, and that's that, as far as I'm concerned. And Howard Webb's not going to change now because he's part of the World Guard. How is that going to change anything? They're just bringing more of their own in. Um, yeah, there, there isn't anything similar other than, I guess, the pools panel. We could look at in the, in the past and say, well, when have we had ex-players involved and when have we had people outside of the, the officials of the game involved in making decisions that were um, tangible to the man on the street? Um, but it's the kind of analogy that we need. We need people who can actually, you know, turn around if somebody officiating and say, well, that looks like a push to me and I've played the game and I know exactly what that is. Um or, yep, that looks like a, a dangerous challenge, but I don't think you meant it, versus, yep, that's a very dangerous challenge, challenge and he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and I think sometimes only former players would, would be able to say that with any degree of certainty, but it's getting some of those to stick their necks above, heads above the parapet, as, as it were, um, to, to help with officiating former colleagues and former uh, teammates even. So it brings other variables in which bring more potential issues. Um, Simply, our refereeing is not good enough. We should be reaching out to places like Holland and places like Germany where VAR is applied exceptionally well and saying, how are you doing it better? Can you help yeah, interesting point from BT. He says uh, the final decision will always be taken by the on-field referee, Stephen. We saw that uh, at the weekend from one of our own, Michael Oliver. Yeah, and when and when I saw the, when I saw him turn round and go, yeah, I'm going to stick with my decision. I thought when I watched it, I thought, are you an idiot? Because it was blasted <laughs> at the kid from about three yards. He had no option. He couldn't get his hand out the way, and Michael was still convinced himself that it that it was a penalty. So. There's me being objectively in the other direction, going that was never a penalty. That and the, and yet the referee, having gone to have a look at it, still stuck with his original decision. But you know, maybe maybe if we got a roving reporter, um, mic'd up, and he's walking around town, and he gets a signal that says there's a VAR decision at St James's Park. What do you think? And then we just go to a punter in the street and go goal or no goal. And the punter goes goal, and then it's choose. Because let's face it, it's not as it's just as daft as what's happening at the minute when they go to some knacker in Stockley Park, who's obviously at the toilet, and comes in and goes, eh, "Oh, I, I was I, I, no goal, no goal, goal, goal." They're just making it up as they go along. Quite frankly, the the, the whole PGMOL, and I've, I've mentioned it before on shows. I've 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 been in a room. I've listened to the current head of the PGML talk about decisions that are made and how that how they come about. 
and I, and I witnessed the bias from the man on Newcastle United, and it's carried on. It, it was last season we had issues, and then this season we've had the, we had the long staff foul uh, that wasn't given where the shirt was pulled as well. And then Wolves, the Palace one that we just saw last weekend, uh, Isak's goal in midweek last week, um, you know, given it because he wears a size nine and the kid wears a size six. Um, you know, that that's basically what that came down to. And then we had the John Stones against Falcon Shaw. Their decisions that went went against Newcastle cost us points. Um, and it'll just carry on like this. Uh, and, and Neil's right. They'll bring Webb in. And Webb, you know, got to remember Webb. Uh, you know, he was in the pocket of Manchester United for years and years when he was a referee. Not going to get anything better from Webb. He's not going to come in as some sort of messiah. So... It's just going to be one of these things that's going to frustrate us and frustrate us and frustrate us. Um, and people say that it evens out into the season. I don't know whether it does or not. Quite frankly, it's it's passed me by um, and I'm, I'm just waiting for the next game. And uh, I'm just glad I'm not a Crystal Palace or a Brighton supporter who've just had a game called off for the real strike because they kind of get 41 miles. Which game is that, Steve? Pal- uh, Brighton v Palace. On the fifth, well, is it a Premier League game? On the fifth, yes, for the yeah. real, yeah. and there was a real strike, and we had to travel six hundred yeah. bloody ninety miles, and they didn't yeah. give a, a flying fuck about us. It's comical, that like too absolutely comical. Too difficult for the Palace away fans to get to because of a unbelievable forty-one miles. But that's this is this is the corruption that that exists within the Premier League and 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 so on. This is the way that. The game's being run now by incompetent people. You know, people will go, oh, yeah, that's a good excuse. Yeah, take that. Yeah, fine. No problem. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's issues all the time with, with trains as well. That's the problem. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's ongoing problems and, and yet well, it doesn't it doesn't get stopped for us. That's crazy. That's so, so, some of the issues are caused by the fixture makers as well. Well, yeah. Yeah, 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 like like Plymouth on a Friday night or whatever, you know. Yeah, we're never us. getting easy. We're never no. getting easy run. Uh, Stu, no VAR officials from England going to the World Cup. Are you surprised? Not at all. It's something we discussed on Sunday, and uh, it was the, when we were looking for suggestions, we had things like um, referees from overseas, and I think that's not even just referees, but VAR officials from overseas. Either train them or let them operate it, and so we have people who are capable of doing so. But something that Steve Acey just said there regarding Howard Webb and Man United, now it, it just comes to my mind there. Uh, I believe I read Howard, Webb, Howard Webb's autobiography, and I'm sure Alex Ferguson did it forward for it. I'm, I'm pretty certain uh, if someone can check that out when we're on it, I'm sure that's. There's also a picture of Alex Ferguson presenting Webb with a Manchester United shirt with Webb written on the back. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I knew, I knew I'd uh, see it before. But the, I think the simplest and the most quickest effective way to handle this is, is make the conversations between the referee and the VAR and let them hear what they're saying and why they're saying it. Uh, and, and at least then there is some accountability. But when there's been calls this week uh, to, to bin a VAR altogether, it's that's just like giving in, isn't it? It's it works everywhere else, so it's just like saying, Well, and if we did bid it to me, that would give license to even less accountability for the referees because uh, they could then do a decision and they're not going to be questioned about it. There's no VR to disprove it, and then when they you get matched the day and the likes, they start putting the things on, don't they? And freeze frames, and oh, it was offside. If we had VR still, that wouldn't have been given, you know. So it, it's I think everyone who's involved in football agrees it, it's it's the camera doesn't lie, does it? It's the people are applying it and their interpretation of it and and why they're doing it. But it, it's we use the like, the words corrupt and hell and you know all all these words that were thrown about over the weekend and, and they still stand. But yes, the spotlights on them. Yes, they, they won't apologise. They won't say we're sorry. We got that totally wrong, and we have cost these teams points. Because that does lead for a, a legal case, doesn't it? So now it's like, yeah, we are making errors and we're going to do us, we're, we'll dress ourselves down. Sounds like a Steve Bruce conference, doesn't it? We'll have to dust ourselves down and we'll go again. But it's it's lip service, that's what we meant, that's what we talked about on Sunday, it's pure lip service. But if they are going to do something about it and they are serious about it, then the best way to do it is to look at people who are doing it right. Ask them for help, or at least try and copy what they're doing, 
uh, and as Mitch mentioned there, Holland, uh, Germany, Italy, Spain, you don't have the, the same fury as what we're getting now. Oh. And that leaves them or uh, leaves it exposed to the corruption calls or the favouritism. And it shouldn't be like that. They should even black the players out. You know, so you, you I mean, obviously, if they're watching the game, they know who's who. But um, yeah, I'm still more annoyed by the Isaac goal uh, that was that was ruled out. He was clearly on site, uh, and the fact that they said the word "sure" so we'll go with the shadows. The rules are quite simple. If they're not sure, it goes with the forward, and the referee's decision stands. And that was a goal. Yeah, and so, the frustrating thing was they did that with Rashford the previous week with Manchester United, you know. They only brought Hannah Marvin in when it was involved in Newcastle. What, what, what about the, the rule of the linesman? Well? What about the rule of the linesman? Why do we bother? Yeah. Why are we going to review the, that? Why let's let's review the rule of the linesman stroke assistant referees? Because quite frankly, their role in the game at the moment is redundant. <laughs> they, they have nothing to say, they don't even do throw-ins, they can't they can't spot who they can't spot an offside properly. They can't even identify a foul throw. They can't identify when a foul happens three yards in front of them because they took the look, they're refereeing, oh, I didn't see it. And they leave it. And there are, we all know that there are referees out there who, before a game, go out and say to the linesman or assistant referees, it's my decision and my decision final. I don't want you, I don't want you making decisions on my behalf. And I remember a TV programme where they did that, where they actually had the guy sitting there and, he, and it was one of the top referees at the time. And he said, I don't want you making decisions, my decision. The role of the the role of that that official, those two officials, should be made redundant as well. They're pointless. Yeah, no, yeah. I would agree. Steve, what was your take, Steve Wilkinson? Well, well, I, I go back to why VAR was first brought in because I, I think we went to uh, on, on likes of Match of the Day in Sky. There were some absolutely blatant errors by referees that were, that were highlighted over the years, and and uh, you know it, there were there was a need for the possible use of, of video technology to help them. And the and the reason it was brought in, nobody's mentioned these this expression tonight, but that was the whole thing at the beginning, clear and obvious when there's a clear and obvious error being made by the referee. And they said also it would take about 10 seconds to sort out because everybody had the fear it would take many minutes, which it does regularly, even five minutes where you're, you're waiting for a decision. So I, I go back to that and say, well, if it's not clear and obvious, and, and we're talking about the just two incidents of the many that we've talked about this tonight, is it not clear and obvious that somebody in Wolves player has got a hold of... Uh, of, of, uh, it was um, long, long staff, staff. It? yeah, long staff shirt. It's absolutely clear and obvious. It's just about off his back. That's clear and obvious. It wasn't clear and obvious that uh, Isaac was offside last week. You, you, when you're having to draw lines and you ultimately decide it's a, it's a, it's a, a bit of the shirt or a, a toenail or a, or a shadow that is determining whether he's offside. That's nowhere near clear and obvious. And and I, you know. I, whether that's what how they're interpreting these other countries, as Stu was mentioned already, and, uh, we've got to look at how they're applying it in those other countries because it, it it is to the advantage to to use technology where where it's going to help. But it, it it's there's been more controversial incidents this season than there ever was going back over the years before VAR was brought in. So I, I, I'm I'm concerned that it's it's ruined the game. You, you know, nowadays when you're at the match. You, you, you saw a goal being scored, and the first thing I did, suppose it was, I'm, I'm in the, in the, just into the Gallagher half, and, and whenever there's a goal at the Leeds end, I look straight to see if the linesman's flags up, and, and then if you, I don't celebrate if it is. But other than that, you usually expect it to be a goal, unless the referee was immediately had his arm in the air, and you celebrate it. Now you've got to wait for God knows how many minutes until uh, VAR checks, because they, they virtually check every single goal. Um, and uh, okay, one or two have gone out in our favour. I think Almiron against Man City, for example. But by and large, it's it's gone against us. And uh, you know, I, 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 something's got to change because it, it is spoiling the game significantly. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is that paranoia feeling, I guess, at times. But that's, I guess, all fans feel like that on occasions. But I mean, it's done us a favour with Trippier not being sent off, you know, and and those those yeah. kind of decisions wouldn't have been reviewed, and you know, Trippier would have been off, and and, and that's that. But um, yeah, it's it seems to be accounting against us more and more. Alwaleed, this is a multi-billion-pound business. Uh, you know, the Premier League. It's it's supposed to be the best league in the world. Why are we getting it so wrong? Um, actually, I, I can't uh, agree more with you, lads. And uh, um, I wish if there is a way to make it better, and I, 
the problem is with the Premier League, they don't like, they, they prefer uh, control. Uh, I like the idea of Stu, he said that uh, it should be announced or uh, been uh, fan listening to what happened uh, behind the VAR. Uh, but the problem is the Premier League, we know, we know them from the cases, from the arbitration. Uh, every case, they, they like the privacy. So they consider a VAR, which not just England, not just Premier League, even here sometimes. Uh, the, the VAR is control. It's a way for controlling a game if they if they want to look to uh, some point and ignore some some uh, scenes. So this is a a tool of control. But what we can push for, but what we can push for, I believe the fans uh, regarding uh, the the. Uh, Sorry, the big mall or the big mall or whatever it says, uh, the big mall, the PGMOL. Uh, uh, this one, I think they can. Uh, if we push for that to be reviewed uh, every week for Premier League and announce it, this will make Premier League. And uh, 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 if they do such a thing, such a make such a big mistake they will make them stupid in front of uh, of the world so they will avoid doing this silly mistakes and or uh, purpose any mistaken purpose so uh, i think they should uh, we should push for uh, announcement like uh, uh, when they have uh, uh, confess confess about the two mistake of newcastle and west ham goals this is embarrassing embarrassing them uh, big time so uh, I guess this is what we should uh, push for. Steve, can I just add a couple of things? Because well, I'm sure we'll talk about other things now. Is with the Premier League you mentioned there it was a multi-billion pound business. Can they afford not to get help? Mm. That, that's the thing. That's the brand. But to me, the offside rule, they apply it to suit themselves. And there's not thousands, but there's like dozens of cases in the last couple of years. To me, the, as long as the, they should judge it by the feet and feet alone, because if you're running or you're trying to gain advantage, you have to lean forward to get momentum, don't you? You know, so of course your hand, your finger, your shoulder is going to be further forward than the other person who's facing the other way. They should do it on the feet like it used to be, and there has to be daylight, and that is it. If if your your throw foot's further forward than their foot is back, you're offside. It doesn't matter where your body's going because you have to move forward. You know, you, you can't run standing still like from a straight up position. So. There's so many simple, simple things that we do to rectify this, and but it's it's making it uniform across the board, and not just applying it to certain teams and not others. That's where the angst is coming from. The wider fan base now, not just Newcastle, but football fans up and down the country. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a solution, and there's an easy one out there. Managers should have one uh, over ruling as they have in the NFL. Um, Clint says there's only three people in the world didn't see the push on Willock. Unbelievable, and um, yeah, lots. Just lots of comments coming in. Keep them coming in. Alan Little says, <laughs> just taking it away slightly, says, can I just say, it's as difficult buying Sam Fender tickets than it is season tickets. Any chance of bringing back overnight sleeps on Strawberry Place? It worked for me for me Queen tickets in 1986. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sam Fender's uh, Blade and Races gig, uh, pre, pre-sale sold out. Uh, obviously, public sale to come and a uh, new date as well, 10th of uh, June. So yeah. those people who were unlucky today, I'm sure, will get tickets. The, the uh, sleepy over has worked for the couple. Final tickets of the 50s yes, as well. Yeah. Eamon <laughs> says uh, VAR is supposed to be for clear and obvious. The yeah, only yeah. thing clear and obvious is an agenda against Newcastle. There's that paranoia again. Stephen says offside should only be so if it is obviously seen to be so. It should only take seconds when it takes longer to analyse an offside. Then clearly it's not obvious. Sorry. Thus, not offside. Very good, Stephen. Can I just ask, right. wasn't there something at the beginning of the season that they were going to start playing back recordings? What's happened? But that's gone quiet because that would have been the obvious thing to do on the weekend is, is play back the conversation between Lee Mason and the and, uh, Salisbury, the referee. I think the big problem about the one at the weekend with us was that they didn't show the most important exactly. angle. Yeah. They didn't that's show right. all the angles. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think... I think this is... Well, this is very... game, but the uh, the uh, the commentators were saying it's clear, and then and you, yeah. you, the home day on the uh, the camera and uh, on the, uh, the pitch side screen, and, he, and they only showed the one angle. Very much so about what the operator chooses to show the referee. Yeah. And also the other thing that stands out in VAR is sometimes you'll hear them say VAR chose not to look at that. So, yeah. for example, 
why did VAR choose to look at Fabian Shaw's tackle um, against, who was it against? Uh, Wolves. 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 But did not choose to look at Van Dijk's tackle, which was worse. Yeah. And so who's making that decision about whether you have a look at it or not? And yeah, I think this... The rugby. They were like the rugby where the, yeah. the, the, the VAR... The linesman, the two, the two linesmen, and the referee stand in the middle. They have a conversation with the fourth man, who's in there. He advises and he says, "I think I can see that. Do you agree?" Mm-hmm. And if they don't agree, then they stick with the referee. If they do agree, agrees collectively, carry on. And, and the fans and, hear it all. Hear it. Hear it. Yeah. And see it on the screen. Yeah. Do it. And it's, and it's usually you led by the referee. It's usually led by the referee saying, "Is there any reason why I cannot give a try or whatever?" You know, exactly. so he's almost yeah. saying, this is the decision I'm going to make. Is there yeah. any reason other, why I shouldn't? Yeah. The other thing that horrified me on, on about the Palace game was that that referee, that was only his seventh, seventh Premier League game. And he's having to argue against Mo, the, the, the blokes at Stockley Park, who he are all hugely experienced. So he's thinking, hey, if I get this wrong, they, they're going to hammer me, you know. Yeah, um, and I, th- I think that was uh, awful as well. So, yeah, uh, great to see the passion as always on this channel, uh, in the chat, and on the screen. Uh, refs should only be approached by the captains. For example, if a captain is told by his player that he was shoved in the back, then the captain relays this to the referee. Uh, well, what happens at Man United then when they've got exactly. a good on the pitch? <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. that rule was brought in years ago when Rooney used to well, win all the time, and yeah. then it got abolished. It got a- well. Uh, well, on Sunday, every time the ball stopped, there was about six Palace players round the referee every time. Every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. But it means says the whole attacker's body should have to be in front of the defender. None of this tour uh, carry on. And uh, Captain Cleefart says, somebody said the other day the VAR are taking so long because they're trying to find any excuse not to give decisions. And he totally agrees with that. And Ian Armstrong says, the rugby approach should be the model for football. Would benefit the referees as well. Rugby referees are really respected. And uh, Derek says that the thing with the shadows and which way they lay depends on which way the light is shining on them. And it depends on how tall they are, Derek, as well. And at what angle the person is standing. I mean, this is this is all crazy. John, just as Alan says, the new system automated offside is amazing. Could completely eradicate all the problems with offside, but it needs used properly, not by idiots. Yeah, I've seen uh, the examples of that. And um, yeah, again, I thought VAR looked good. We were supposed to be having a problem-free game it was going to eradicate all the problems it's created more if you know it, if the game is more farcical now than it ever it ever been and it was a championship game last week where the goal line technology didn't work and it was I think it was Huddersfield's game and there was a, a, a goal which crossed clearly crossed the line um, but again it wasn't turned on and the goal hasn't been given and that could affect Huddersfield at the end of the season it's yeah. crazy automated offside being used in this week's Champions League games be interesting to see how uh, you know how that works and Chippers says surely if refs retire they shouldn't be given a VAR job just retire man yeah, I would agree with that as well halfway through the show only one question for George um, anybody's got a question for George get back to us in the next two minutes I'm going to go uh, quickly through the adverts thanks to skipsandbins.com uh, telephone 0800 2545 2523 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com website easy contract free and pays you go waste collection thanks also to Darren Baldwin Funerals again with us this month 304 Old Durham Road Gateshead telephone 0191 email darren at darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk and the website is the same address Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD hemp and cannabinoid specialists, www.gohd.com. And thanks to three property who've come on board with us this month. Uh, they are property investments who specialize in sourcing investment properties for their clients who are looking to invest in the Northeast. They offer a full ink house service from sourcing the deals to managing the properties for you. They've done over 100 plus deals in the past 12 months for clients all over the UK. Give the guys a follow on Instagram, matty.patter underscore northeast property and phil.read underscore northeast property or give phil an email at phil at threeproperty.co.uk should you be interested in getting a good property deal thanks again to mr vicky's sources handmade in cumbria you can find them at mrvickys.co.uk telephone them on 01768 210102 it's been a busy time for them but they are going to send us some sources so me and steve hasty 
on a Friday night can try them. Don't worry, Steve. I've got some special beer to water, to water it down as well for oh, you, to wash nice. it down. So I will get that over to you before we have the, uh, the source test. Mitch, I don't think Mitch will get it in time. Uh, big thanks yeah. to Media Arts as well. And thanks to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the channel. It's free. NUFC Matters logo in the bottom right-hand corner. Just put your mouse over that and click on it, and you can subscribe. We do seven shows a week. Hit the thumb up to like the video tonight and click share, share to your social media. Like Paul Gallant has done tonight. Uh, you shared it all over the place. Big thank you to uh, you, Paul. Looking forward to having you on the show on Monday night with me and Joe. We are available as a podcast as well on iTunes, Spotify, and the rest, which means you can listen to us on all your devices or in the car when you're out and about. If you want to help the channel financially, you can click join and make a, a small donation, or you can pay £25 one-off fee and get a cup, a pen, a membership card, and a scarf, and entry into the monthly draw. Uh, that's courtesy of QTech. Uh, you go to nufcmatters.com and click membership, or if you've got a smartphone, uh, put your camera over the top of the QR code and it will take you straight there. We do send out free car stickers to everybody who subscribes. Uh, just email john at nufcmatters.com and he'll post you one out. Don't forget, we support the food bank on here, NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk. The match day bucket is virtual. It's there 365 days of the year and you can make a donation and every penny counts at this moment in time. We've also got this shirt up for grabs on uh, Twitter at Steve Wraith. Uh, just place your bid underneath courtesy of Gemma Summers. Thank you for donating to Gemma. There is two of these. There's one small one and there's one extra large one. Um, anybody wants to bid, uh, then get yourself the at Steve Ray. The post is pinned and you can make a bid. We'll announce the winner of that on Friday. Uh, get yourself over to Football Prizes as well. Uh, only a couple of tickets left for the Alan St. Maximum signed and framed shirt. And don't forget, we are having a bit of a get-together on Friday the 7th of October at the Irish Centre. Tickets are £2 in advance via nufcmatters.com. It is the official one-year anniversary of the takeover. And me, Steve Hasty, Keith Patterson and a few others will be getting together uh, to have a bit of a shindig down at the Irish Centre. It'll be great to see everybody get along there and uh, put a little bit of money into the food bank again. OK, uh, it is time for our first regular feature and it's a, a very simple one. It's Ask George. Okay, Michael West, uh, he says, question for George, what style of football boots did you play in, George? Oh, more like uh, work, working boots, miners' boots. Heavy leather up over my ankles with huge uh, leather studs hammered in uh, into the, into the uh, bottom of the boots. And uh, if you lost any of the leather off the studs, woe betide anybody that you caught because you left your mark. Well, and truly, I've got a few marks on my thighs, which are, are like tram lines, and that's where they're from, from the boots. Um, and actually, it, it's an interesting one for me personally, because when I was uh, coming to the end of uh, playing at school, a friend of mine uh, had a, a brother who was stationed in Germany uh, in the army, and he got sent home. Uh, two pairs of football boots, one for himself and one for me. Well, they were more like slippers than football boots. They were beautiful. They didn't have, but they didn't have the protection on your ankles, so your ankles always got got knackered when you played. And uh, and they had um, nice padding in in inside. The the, the boots uh, that I wore were just uh, you know um, rough leather. Um, but once you went to St James's Park, I'll, I'll give you another one uh, example about boots. At St James's Park, they always give you boots that were a size small than you, than you should wear. Then they made you put them on with a pair of socks. And then they sat you in the in the boot room where there was a big boiler with it, where, where there's hung the strips. And you put both your feet in a bucket of warm water and sat there for an hour. And then they did that again the next time you went to St James's Park. And by the time they finished... The fit like gloves, but it knackers your feet as I can as I can confirm because my feet are a hell of a shape now, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons why. So there you are, that's boots. <laughs> okay, well, I've got a few more questions. We'll get through them quickly. Uh, Tom Dixon says, Question for George, how many times did he get sent off, George? Once. 
once that was a simple yeah. question simple well, question simple answer well the uh, the, the, the circumstances were strange uh, there was a ref- local referee called Hennessy who was a football league referee uh, but when he wasn't doing football league, he used to do local football. And I was playing for the juniors against St Mary's Boys Club at Rye Hill. And uh, I went to protect the ball, stop them taking a, um, a quick free kick. And I kicked the ball away. And uh, as he took what's your name, I'd give me name. And uh, I said, uh, Harry Seacom. That's what I said. <laughs> so he was he was quicker than me. And he said, Right, get off Harry Seacom. <laughs> that was that. So that was the one and only time. And uh, Butterbean says, ask George, what should the punishment be for simulation and diving in the game? Should it be a red card to stamp it out? Would be for me. It's it's the most cynical way of cheating uh, in the game, in my view. You, you're deliberately, deliberately trying to rob uh, the, the team of, of, uh, of advantage, but also... You're hoping that you'll get the person that you're simulating against, get them a red card or a yellow card. So I think they should reverse the thing and the person that's doing the diving, off. Okay, last two questions. Alan Little, has George kept many of his old tune shirts? And if he has, what's the most valuable or precious to him? No, I haven't uh, because the obviously the, the shirts belong to the club. Um, however, I have got one shirt which is very precious. So that's the one when... Uh, I took the lads to a cup final in the Borders, um, a tune shirt with my name and number on the back. Uh, and uh, that was my me, me gift for being the chauffeur for them for the whole weekend. So so that's quite precious. Um, and last, last question from Chippers. George, do you think that the FA should just hire VAR officials as well as referees? So have them as a separate entity rather than having ex-referees doing the job? I'm, I'm not... As you've heard, I'm not keen on the, the, the ex-referees have, have had their chance and blown it for me. I certainly think I'd be looking at uh, possibly um, ex-players uh, and even managers who uh, who uh, have got a lot of experience in the game. Um, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it, it's... Uh, no, I, I would go for ex-players or ex-managers rather than taking it out of the game. Quick answer on this one. Any black and white footage of you playing, George? Not video. I've got some still photographs uh, of uh, of us playing, um, which I could uh, let you have, Steve, if people are interested. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. Thanks for that. Uh, that is us, George, for this week. We'll have it again uh, next time we are on. Elliot Anderson, uh, let's start with you, Al. We'll lead on this one. Um, is it time to give Elliot Anderson a start in the first team, do you think? Uh, yes, of course, and uh, uh, I'm not really sure why this gradual. And uh, I think and he he understands and give him uh, the opportunity uh, enough with the uh, gradual gradual uh, practice. I think uh, I think the boy is ready, really. If he came into the squad, uh, into the team, sorry, who would you who would you replace? Do you think Joe Willock or Almiron? Joe Willock. Because you will, I'm sure you will have much more to provide, but maybe he need to be. The, yani, the, if you put him uh, in the starting lineup, so that's mean you are happy with his performance, and I'm sure you uh, will have much better uh, than what he gave us so far. Okay, Steve, we've been down this road many times as Newcastle yeah. fans, haven't we? With young proteges coming through, I mean. The names trip off the tongue, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of them are strikers. I mean, Paul Brayson um, was yeah. the one that I remember who yeah. I thought he was going to be a class act at Newcastle, but, you know, never never worked out. That was when I was a lot younger, of course, and you see these players coming through. Ian Bogey, who got the new, uh, Gaza, wasn't he got the be new, the new Gaza, Gaza nickname. And, you know, it's, I mean, it, it's full of them, isn't it? But we've yeah. you know, we've got a good one here coming through. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll have. I I think... Guess the time, when is the time to chuck him into the, into the mix? Well, I think uh, the, the person that you've got to look at is how he was managed was, is, is Phil Forden, who was uh, even even younger than uh, Anderson when he started to be on the scene. Everybody's demanding him to get games, and he was gently brought in, but he did he did start in many games as as time progressed. And I think it, it's certainly worth giving Elliot Anderson a, 
a chance. Um, I know you've you said it. I think you went talking to, to Ross last night and saying the Bournemouth game. I'm I'm not sure I would pick a specific game. You know why not throw him in on Saturday? It did on Sunday against West Ham. Um, he, he's not gonna he's not gonna uh, be more comfortable playing against Bournemouth, a game that we definitely should win, as opposed to putting on a performance at West Ham. And some things away from James might be a better way to do it rather than than giving them the the the, the opportunity in, in front of his own fans in case he he does get more. More nervous on that, but I certainly think it's worth giving them a start. It's a shame it's a it's a it's a while away till the next league cup because I think that would be another chance to get him in. I think it's the World Cup that's caused it to be put back. Usually, you'd probably have a one uh, the next week or so, but uh, I think with cramming all the European and things in, it's uh, for the World Cup. It's uh, it's 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 back in November for that next one. But I, I would give him a start. Uh, I would even try him on on uh, on Sunday. Uh, and, and position wise, I would I would put him. Um, it depends whether Maxi's going to play or not. If I would put him on that position on the on the wide, wide left, um, you know, more you know, more inside perhaps than than out on the wing, because um, I think that's where he was playing for Bristol Rovers a couple of times. I saw him playing for them. Um, I think that last game seven nil, he seemed to be coming in from the left, and he was doing that for us on the games he's come on. So that's where I would put him if if there was a place um, to get him in the team. But uh, I, I suppose there's a chance that. Uh, ESM would be would be fit for Sunday, and he would he would be expected to play. Sue, your take on uh, giving the young and a, a start? I mean, do you agree with Steve that you know is, is Saturday a good opportunity just to stick him in, or you know, I mean, Eddie, how do you think he's going to continue with this kick gloves approach? Um, no, I don't think we should bring him in. Uh, look, he's he's coming on in cameo rules, as the phrase is. He's got no fear. He's good. He's very good. He knows he's good. He's a precious talent and we need to look after it. I think we've got the right manager that will bring him in. It, you don't want to become like, imagine he played on Sunday or Saturday after against Bournemouth and he's a man of the match. It could be too much to do from he needs to be blooded carefully and that way we'll get longevity out of him. And that's that's just my opinion. I think the best role for him at the moment would be to be what he's doing with him, make him an impact sub and gradually uh, raise the minutes he's on the pitch, which gives him more time to get used to the, shall we say, the dark arts of the Premier League. And when you ask Al Lee the question, like, should it be Willick or Almiron or possibly ASM, who we should replace? You know, I, I keep him as a substitute, but strangely, uh, I believe that's Willick's best rule as well, as an impact sub. And he showed that time and time again. And I think he does his best work for the team in the latter parts of the game anyway. So if he if he comes on as an impact so but this is why I think they were all out for as we know Madison, uh, and then they could replace these people with this is what we're talking about the gradual process through the windows. You'd be bringing people like Willing on instead of you know uh, people like Jacob Murphy on. You know it's it's the next level, and, and this is why we're aspiring to. My biggest worry about. Um, is 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 not played? Is it Scotland not picking him? I know he's played for the under twenty ones. He's played. He's played for the youths and everything else. But until he plays a full international, Elliot Anderson's can be grabbed by England, can't he? So I'll I'll be on the phone to JC after this and see and get him into the next international games. <laughs> they need to get him playing when he's uh, he's he's good enough. You know, what I mean, we all know he's good enough, and I'm I'm sure there's the they're all fully aware of him and. He's, he's got such a great future and I, I'd be hesitant to risk wasting it at this stage uh, when we know we've got quality around him anyway. Let him come through, let him get his head and then eventually he's, he's, he's ability, his quality will shine through. He'll, he'll be in the team on merit, not just because he's a local lad that we're all wanting to play and hang our hats on. Let's not give him so much expectation. Let him get the place on merit and once he's in, he'll stay for a while. Similar to like what he did with Bruno as well, but on a longer scale. With a name like Anderson, he should play for Scotland as well. It's the eighth yep. most frequent name in Scotland, Stu. Well, he is. He plays for the under-21s. He's played all every level for Scotland. Uh, he just hasn't been picked for the for the first team yet. So, well, as I say, hopefully the next round they get him in the squad and, and get him playing. Steve, would you like to see Anderson in sooner rather than later? Or is this the way to go? Just, you know, bring him on slowly. I think it's the way to go, actually, perfectly honest. I think his opportunity will arise. We've got a, a glut of fixtures coming up until the uh, until the break for the World Cup. 
um, midweek games, uh, you know, a game and then on a Sunday and then a game on a Saturday, a game on a Wednesday. Um, I think his time will come. I think Eddie is going to be gradually evolving that team. I think he's gradually going to be looking at, at the way the team plays. Uh, now, he talked about playing, uh, ho- looking forward to the time when he can play Wilson and, and uh, Isak uh, in the same team. And I think at that point, you may also see a refreshing change of, of perhaps Elliot getting an opportunity. Um, but I think it'll more, be more to do with a, a change of formation. Maybe he's not going with the uh, with the three up front, or as he tends to be, the 4-3-3 with the two wide men dropping back. Um, I think if anyone's position is in doubt, and I agree with the, with the, with the comment there, the, the one in the midfield um, who's been a regular this season who probably would struggle um, is Willock. Um, if there was somebody going, I can't see him coming in and taking uh, ASM's place unless he's injured. And I think for some reason Eddie likes uh, AS, uh, likes Almiron with all the work that he does. Um, once Elliot comes in though, and he starts to score goals, that's when he'll be putting pressure on the likes Almiron and the likes of ASM. Because if he scores goals and we've got other midfielders who are not, then he becomes very vital cog in that team. Um, and these are the these are the decisions that Eddie's going to be making over the over the next sort of three to six months, um, because the lad is a, an amazing talent. And uh, oh, it's Southgate, pull your finger out and get him signed up for Ooh. them. <laughs> Leave him alone. The World Cup in November. <laughs> Mitch Anderson, um, you know he's really making an impression. Uh, somebody made the point though about fans being fickle, and he's you know one minute he's the darling, next minute he's awful. I mean the Jolie Maradona is what people are calling him on the on the terraces at the moment. But um, it is good to have one of your own making progress, isn't it? It is, and I think the key thing for me is every time he's come on the pitch, he hasn't looked out of place, and I think that's the important part. Has he looked out of place? Has he looked like he's any less or more able to deliver than somebody say like me? And I think the answer is, well, he certainly looks at least on a par there. And therefore, I think perhaps the time is coming to give him a free roll on one of the wide positions up front. And then there's a bit of pressure off in terms of um, certain responsibilities in the midfield. You can give him, give him a little bit of freedom to play and express himself. Um, he looks like he's got no fear, like a lot of these kids are, and that's fantastic. And it's good to see us actually trying to progress an 18-year-old instead of holding them back with a rubbish loan somewhere for six months and then getting them back in January and not really doing anything with them. I think the development of, of players from this level has been a Achilles heel in the club. And so to see someone progressing properly is quite a, quite a fillip, really. Yeah, no, it definitely oh, is. And by the way, Stu, we'll make you drinking somewhere else tomorrow night. I'll send you a video that I've just been sent. The block of flats next to the ram, he's just gone up like a Roman candle. Has it? <laughs> Aye. I'm at work, so when I'm done, I'll stick my head up and have a look I down the road, see what's going on. <laughs> George, you were a youngster at Newcastle once, uh, you know, trying to make your way as a professional. Um, it, it's good to see somebody like Elliot Anderson, isn't it? Uh, it is. A Jordy lad. Refreshing change. Remember, he's got a brilliant pedigree. He's related to Jeff Allen, isn't he? He is, of course, yeah. And and he was no slouch as a left winger. An injury only killed Jeff Allen because I think Jeff would have played for Newcastle for a long time. So, yeah, he's got the background. Um, yes, it is refreshing. And you and I, when we do uh, years gone by things, how many kids do I tell you about too? He did this and he did that and didn't get a chance. And, you know, I can reel him off by the dozen that didn't get the chance. Um, and one or two who didn't deserve the chance, as it happens. Um, but never mind. Um, yeah, I think it's great that we're giving him a go. Uh, but I think he is uh, rapidly coming up for a start. Uh, and uh, um, I think uh, if I was him, I would go to Scotland because he'll get more games than he would for England. Well said, George. And that hasn't been as much... With a name like Mitchell, what could I say, Stu? Exactly, you're right. Meaningless friendlies while we're in competitions. Yeah. 
Just a quick one uh, on on the the news today that uh, Tuchel is part of company with Chelsea. George, um, it's a harsh business, isn't it? Management. I mean, you can win trophies well, and still get also, the bullet after a hundred days with a new owner. It also brings into question the whole notion of how football clubs are run. What other multi million pound business would allow a manager to invest nearly three hundred million pounds in new staff and then sack them? It wouldn't. Ha- it, it's just nonsense. It wouldn't happen in any other business other than football. And the fact, if you want to get rid of somebody, I'd be looking at the players who played for Chelsea last night who didn't try a leg. I'd be getting rid of some of them before I got rid of the manager because they're not going anywhere. And if they think that just getting a new manager is going to put them right, well, they're in for a shock because once players get that sort of attitude, it takes a lot of get, getting rid of. Mitch, the merry-go-round of managers never surprises me, and it gets more brutal each each season. I mean, um, it's just a case of betting who's going to go first. I think most of us thought Brendan Rodgers would be out the door before Tuchel, but um, I've got to be honest. I had, an, I had, a, uh, you know, I think I said it on one of the shows in the summer, you know, and then uh, as the preseason friendly started, Tuchel wasn't wasn't liked by the players, Tuchel. hence the performances. But Tuchel's also another yes man, a new owner. Who yeah. obviously thinks he can come in yeah. and sign and wants to sign players and wants to make decisions. And Todd Bowley's got a lot to learn about soccer. Um <laughs> if he thinks that's how it's gonna work as a, as the owner of Chelsea. Um they're on borrowed time from an FFP perspective now. The front load of that that buyout is what's enabled them to spend in a similar way as they could under Abramovich. They've now got to try and balance the books and, and work with what they've got over the next two years. And that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I'm going to, I'm going to make a prediction. Whoever he gets in next will not last that last to January. Wow. January. This is new American owners. They want it now. They want it all now. History doesn't matter a jot to American owners. They'll take a club. They'll take a franchise with history and shift it halfway across the U.S., if they're going to get a better deal there. And this is how US owners think. And we're going to get a little insight into how US owners behave. And I'm telling you now, if they're not pulling up trees by January after the World Cup, whoever he brings in next, he'll be gone too. Interesting. You heard it here first, as always, from Mitch. You always like to make bold predictions and a lot of them come true. Steve, um, American owners in the Premier League, uh, we've got them already, but uh, yeah, 100 days in and getting rid of people. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked about American owners, we've talked about the influence from American TV. Um, it's something that, that Mitch is absolutely right on. What I would say is the situation. It's interesting, I was reading earlier this morning, uh, after he'd lost his job, that one of the things he was upset was, was and this is in, interesting as a continental manager, he didn't like to be involved in the buying of players. He didn't want the responsibility of buying the players and being being asked and being the advisor. The only player that he that he was that he that he was all right about saying yeah I want and the only one he actually that he he, he went for was of all people Aubameyang and he bought him with a broken jaw, um, but Cucurella, uh, Fafana, um, Sterling, they were decisions that they went to him and said what do you think and he went well I don't want to know I don't I, I, because he's not done this before it's not the way it's done on in Germany it's not the way it was done in Paris. And he didn't want to be the one with the responsibility here. But Chelsea had got rid of everybody. They'd got they got they got rid of Buck. They got rid of the Russian woman who was running the club. Um, all the advisors had gone. The scouting system. Um, but I'm I, I would question uh, because this this is an Abramovich decision. On paper, this looks like the sort of decision Abramovich would have made after six games. It is. Is, is Todd Bowling then now the, the Roman Abramovich, especially when we heard that uh, the money, the $2.5 2. is still sitting in Abramovich's bank account, apparently, and hasn't hasn't written its way to the charity that we thought it on. There's something stinks about Chelsea at the moment right the way through, um, and I wouldn't trust any of them as far as I could throw them. And I think from the body language of Thomas Tuchel, um, the way that he's been over the last few games... Uh, just watching his body language, watching the way he's performed on the touchline. It's been under a strange amount of pressure, but I think we've seen a totally different Thomas Tuchel since the takeover than the one that we saw last season and the season before. More irritable, more angry, unhappy. 
And I bet you he's absolutely delighted to be getting on a plane and flying to some little little holiday resort that he's got stashed away somewhere. And he'd probably end up going back to Germany and he, he'll take over at somewhere like Leipzig, who are really, really struggling at the moment and are surprising everybody. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my opinion on what's going on at yeah. Chelsea. I do like this name that keeps popping up in the chat, Peter's Haddock. Uh, Abramovich is still like Palpatine, lurking in the dark, pulling the strings. Uh, I do agree with you as well. And uh, he also says... He was through to take over. He says it's career suicide... You. Career suicide for Potter, Stu. And, of course, Potter, yeah. who's doing such a fantastic job at Brighton, who've had a bad summer because Newcastle Newcastle keeps going down there and taking things off them, and now have to give permission to Chelsea to speak to their manager now. Yeah, he's a wizard of a manager, that Potter, though, isn't he, sir? Hey! Hey! No, but strangely, like, earlier today, uh, myself, Richard, and uh, Mr. Hasty were discussing the Chelsea situation. And then Mitch has just said his bit, and then Steve started off so well. And I thought they were going to leave it to me to mention the possibility of Abramovich still being involved. So, Chelsea, for getting all that, so it's not me that's going to get the grief this week. But uh, <laughs> if, if it's true, though, the, the money hasn't been spent, and it is very much an Abramovich decision, isn't it? And it's like, it's knee jerk. I, I want, but the Americans are like that, as Mitch said, but it, I want it now. Uh, Tuchel, his body language has been bad. He comes across as arrogant. If you look at the argument he had with Conte, I mean, that was his fault. You know, the way he grabbed him and, and everything else, it, there's no place for it. But when he's winning, he's, he's a dream to interview this, that and the other. And the smugness comes out very much like Klopp. So everyone else can draw the similarities between them without me saying it. Um, but for Potter, I, it's I would like him to speak to Chelsea and then turn them down. You know, he's, he's got the right to, to speak. You know, he's he's proved himself. Remember when he first came into the Premier League with Swansea, everyone was laughing, like, who's this? Managed where? You know, and they didn't, he, he wasn't rated at all and he, he's had to graft it. So you can't blame him for wanting what's deemed a bigger job. But I don't think he's finished with Brighton yet. You know, he's, he's like... He's painting a masterpiece and then leaving it with like half, like not even halfway done. But the potential financially that Brighton have got to Chelsea are, is chalk and cheese. So you can't blame any manager for wanting to better themselves and, and thinking, right, look at the money the players are getting. But this is my way of making a mark in, well, if he's in with one of the deemed bigger clubs like on world football. You know, so... If he does go, there's always positive. If he does go, would Brighton be a challenge for us for European places or thereabouts coming in the season? Because I think he's held that team together. And it's his mantra that they've all adhered to and believed in. And it would be similar to us if any how left with the group of players still give the same for a new manager. Uh, but I don't think we need to worry about how going anywhere. He will see this job through for as long as possible. Uh, and he's got the bug for it. But on at Chelsea... Money talks in football, as everyone says, but um, uh, I'm surprised Brighton have given permission to talk straight away unless they've said, look, we'll pay the, you know, the, the compensation. I think, if, I think yeah, if I he had a cl close on his contracts yeah. too, that if there was an approach, he could go and speak and there was a buyout clause. 20 right, million, so I heard mentioned. Right, so they've had to let him do it anyway, but that doesn't mean if he's speaking to them, that doesn't mean he's good. And by the time I finish this, Conversation he's probably already signed for him, so I look stupid. But <laughs> let him go and see what he's got to say. And he, he might look at that and think, you know, this isn't good for me. You know, he's he's clearly uh, tactically astute, he's, he's clearly not a stupid man. You know, so he, he can look at himself and think, you know what, do I want this with the Grim Reaper, Reaper walking around the corner every time there's a draw or a loss? Or do I want somewhere where I'm going to be trusted and allowed to build? But we've seen managers at other clubs in his position doing that. And then getting the boot later on. Anyway, you know, so the chances are he probably will take it, but it would be fantastic if he went and turned it down. Neil Hawkins paying a five out of wing people up in the chat. Thank you, mate. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, mate. I, I will say thanks for giving us that, mate. But uh, Newcastle have confirmed they've reluctantly given Eddie Howe permission to speak to Chelsea. I don't believe... More Chelsea was growing here, Steve. I do not, exactly. Uh, Dr Cynic, I'm not visiting him either, mate. But Neil, well done. Thanks for donating the fiver. Uh, Steve Wilkinson, your views uh, on, on this merry-go-round of managers. Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm interested to see what Potter does because I'm, I'm like you. I think I would great to see him turn it down because uh, 
I think it's a it's a poison chalice. Um, you know that that they do want instant success. If you look at their their history in the last few years, all right, it it was Abramovich then, but yes, is he pulling the strings still? It's it's uh, you know I, I I would I would fear that they want him instant. He's going to inherit some difficult players to manage that he's in taken on. He's developed Brighton over the years. Uh, admittedly, he's lost Dan Ashworth from from the squad, and and uh, you know I don't know, but the, the the culture seemed to be to be right at uh, at Brighton. It it, ha- it it they've actually probably played better football this year than they did last year when Dan Ashworth was there. And uh, I don't well, he, he wouldn't be involved in any of the buying over the summer because he was on the garden leave before he came to us. So uh, you know they've they've done all right to to to, to keep on going and get and get a. A good start of the season, so I, I hope Potter turns them down tomorrow. And uh, you know, nothing like one of the teams at the top uh, having a crisis to get to help us in the future. So uh, that's what I hope happens. And Potter doesn't just think of the money, which undoubtedly he'll get more money at Chelsea than he would at uh, at, at Brighton. And if, if uh, Mitch is right, he'll get a cracking payoff in January, which uh, is, is good for his bank balance. But I would, I, he doesn't want to damage his CV, so I would, uh, I would stay at Brighton and uh, try and get them, you know, which he's he's obviously trying to do is get them into the the the, the same positions we are, sixth or seventh, and get into conference at least. Yeah, can I can I just before you go to Alwaleed, Steve, can I just say that let let's not forget that it's been a hundred days since Bowley took over. I guess he never watched any Premier League football last season. Because Graham Potter's Brighton were the draw specialists of the league. They went through a shocking run towards the back end. And so they're making out this big thing about Graham Potter. And let's face it, Graham Potter's lined up for the England job as soon as Southgate fails at the World Cup. And then he could have stepped in and he could have he could have revitalized England. But uh, if he goes to if he goes to Chelsea, then fair dues. But uh, I think that I think this is this is like the Americanization. I don't think they've twigged on. You watch watch Potter last season. Yes, he might have grown a decent club, but they were the draw specialists. Yeah, I will lead your views on this. Uh, yeah, just um, here we call him Tuchel with uh, with a different letter. Tuchel is Tuchel, and uh, actually, when when he and he, it's really surprising because I remember when uh, Lambert Chelsea Lambert being uh, uh, lose to Bayern München. In London, 3 0 in Champions League. After that, the next year, Tuchel uh, or Tuchel, he just came and in a few games, they make them the uh, Europe champion yeah. and World Cup champion without any changing any player in the team. So he just have this team and make them heroes. Yeah. And when he started to bring Lukaku, I think that was really yeah. uh, a first mistake. It's, it's weird. When he got the players he asked for, the team get worse, and mm. uh, as speaking of being arrogant, really arrogant, really he was. And I always watching him, and I see he wasn't like that. He he getting worse and shouting to the players. I remember once he shout uh, on Alonso uh, for something uh, for just a mistake. So that was any, uh, and with the with the new owners, uh, this is any uh, not not any. Uh, this is mean, any not that surprise. With the new owners, they get. And I just read the story about uh, the reason was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, because uh, the owner, uh, American owner, wants Cristiano, and uh, Tuchel says, "No, he will ruin uh, my dressing room." All this news over Germany, so I think it's uh, I think it's right. That was the big break. For uh, for Botter, uh, I think he should go to Chelsea, but on his own conditions. Pochettino seems to be the big favourite. I think he's been waiting and waiting and waiting for an opportunity. Uh, lots of names getting chucked around, but I think Pochettino, Lampard, I'd say, was an outside bet. Can't see Rafa ever going back to Chelsea at all. Um, okay. Did you go for Zidane? Possibly. Yeah, it's another name. It's another name to chuck in the mix, but um, I think Pochettino should be the favourite. Like I think he, he's been dying for a return to the Premier League, and I think he'd be up for it. He's worked with a dodgy owner before, and he, let's face it, at, uh, at Spurs. Okay, finishing off with my first game.
Okay, my first two match couple of uh, and Reese. If you want to send one in, by the way, just send it to me and the lads at Twitter, and uh, we will feature them on the show. Big Al sent us this one. He says, "Hi, Steve. Watched two of your YouTube offerings last night. Very impressed. The guy doing the 1950s was good. That's you, George. Uh, my first tune game was Burra in 1954. Jackie missed the penalty. Uh, Super Mac, I knew well. I uh, working for Metro Radio when I, I commentated for tune games. So big Al." Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, Jackie Milburn missing a penalty, George. I think we covered that in that show. We did, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, great stuff. And the uh, second one tonight is from Alan McKenzie, who I think is in the chat tonight. He says, my first uh, match was shortly after my ninth birthday. My granddad, Dave McKenzie, took me to St. James's Park to see the Toon play Spurs, which was an eventful nil-nil draw. Some greats on display stood in the centre paddock uh, it's in the veins. And of course, uh, Bill Nicholson was managing uh, Tottenham. Yeah. And Joe Harvey was managing Newcastle. And uh, Stan Anderson, I think we covered the game, or we're about to cover the game, I think, uh, next week, um, was was playing in that game as well. So uh, if you want a, a bit of an update on those kind of things, tune into Those Were The Days with me and George. But please send in your first games. It's always interesting to hear uh, who, you've, who you first watched as a supporter. And, uh, yeah, keep them coming in. And we'll finish up with Chris Banks's advice to uh, Potter. They call her Natasha when she looks like Elsie. I don't want to go to Chelsea. I think he says <laughs> Potter shouldn't go to Chelsea. Yeah, good one. We'll get a quick prediction for the game of the weekend, not from Mitch and not from Steve, but we'll get it from George. Uh, West Ham away. How do you see it going, George? 1-0 uh, to us. 1-0 to Newcastle. Stu? 1-1. One, one. 1-1. One, one. Steve Wilkinson. Yes, I'm 1-1 one, one as well. And last but by no means least, I will lead. Yeah, it's going to be VAR. I think it's going to be funny. So I think it's going to be draw to make them both happy. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff as always. I'm back tomorrow night, 6 o'clock uh, with Supermac and Gibbo. Don't forget, give this a watch. How does financial fair play affect Newcastle United. I recorded it earlier with Ben Jacobs. Well worth a watch on the channel. Uh, but for now, it's good night. God bless. Take care, lads. See you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.